0: If you're a guest here at Providence, um, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. If you're in the building, in the room, or at home, uh, we're glad that you've joined us. In your Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 46. Uh, we're going to look at this psalm. It's amazing. that it speaks uh, something about fear as we start a new series on being overwhelmed. Um, most of us, uh, we've bought a book or two in our life. Or if you haven't bought one, maybe you know that they sell them. And, uh, and so, if you go online and you uh, find um, uh, these uh, enormous sellers of books, in particular Amazon, uh, and if you go there and you simply look up and you type in the big category spirituality, what you're gonna find is over 70,000 titles that they fit into that category. Now, each one of these books was written, each one of them um, uh, had artwork done. Um, each one of them chose a title um, specifically in order to scratch a human itch in the hope that people would look at that and go, you know what? I need that. That's what I need. Uh, that's, that's the ultimate problem of my life. And what's interesting is that if you, if you just sort of look over uh, several pages on the website of all of these books, that they would fit into a category of spirituality. What you find of our day and age is that the chief spiritual need and desire that people perceive for themselves is not to know the one true living God, but to be healed. It's to be whole, it's to find ourselves. it's to find joy and hope and peace. And if God, if there is a God out there or which one, who knows, like if that's a pathway to my personal healing, well, then that's an option for my reading. But ultimately, what we want deeply is to be healed. You look around the world and people are broken. You look in the mirror and you see people who... Are broken. People are tired of feeling broken. And what's interesting is the church is not immune. You look around at the church, and what a church is is simply a gathering of people, normal people who struggle just like everybody outside the walls of this building struggle. It's interesting when you think about our language, we all just use the word, we use it all the time. We don't necessarily think about what it means. The word actually means to be buried or to drown beneath a mass of something of significant size or weight. And that word is overwhelmed. You can be overwhelmed with fear or with guilt or with shame or exhaustion. It's just this weight. It just seems like it can be so incredibly heavy. The fact is, is that we all feel it. We all feel overwhelmed, just not all in the same direction. We all feel the effects of the brokenness of the world. We just don't all feel them in the same direction. For some people, even in the room and in the church, the brokenness of the world splashes up upon them physically. And so you have some people who get cancer and some people who don't. You have other people, and it splashes up upon their mind or their heart or emotions. And so there's some people... And they deal routinely, daily, with anxiety. And then there's other people, and they, they, they know the feeling of, like, when the ball's going up in the basketball game, and you feel butterflies, but that's the extent of the, of the anxiety that they know. It feels differently, but yet this is what happens in the church. It's a really fascinating thing, is that we have determined and lived over such a long period of time within the church that there are some kinds of brokenness that are acceptable and others that are not. There's some kinds that we, we, um, we're free. We're more free to talk about. We're more free to say, you know what? I have a little small group. I got my people. I'm gonna share my needs and my requests with. And we go to them, and we say, you know what? I've been battling recurring headaches and we don't feel any skepticism about our faith in the room. We feel like they now know I have a headache every day. But there's something that's different about breaking down that wall that says, you know what? I feel depressed every day. I feel anxious every day. I feel fearful every day. It's interesting. The weights that plague our mind and heart tend to be the elephants in the room. Really heavy, but unspoken. And so we turn to the Bible, and what you find in the Bible is that they're not unspoken. There's been people who've been battling these same things since the beginning of time. And so you're not alone. You have to be broken. You're in really good company. Everyone around you is broken, just in a little different way, maybe. Maybe. And so two years ago, in February of 2019, we did a series called Overwhelmed. And in that series, we looked at six different areas where our church at the time, we felt like these are the areas where we hear a lot, that folks are really wrestling with these things. And so we looked at things like exhaustion and feeling unsettled, being depressed, addicted, chronic pain, and shame. Now, two years later, we look, and it's interesting when we look around our church family today, we certainly see these needs. And of course, these are there. If you, if you look at this list and you go, that's it, I need that. Well, they're all online. You can go back February 2019 and find them all. But we want to look at a few other areas that seem to be plaguing our church family in addition to these right now. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at these areas. Today, we're going to begin with fear. Why are we going to do this? There's really three hopes that I have. One is to expose our common brokenness, to say it's okay not to be okay. You're in good company. If you're not okay, if you feel broken, if you are broken, if you're battling anxiety, depression, whatever it is that you're battling, um, you are a part of this people, and we're glad that you're here. The second reason why we want to do this, the hope is to expose the power of Christ in our lives and even over these areas. Even if he doesn't immediately eradicate the challenge upon us, the heavy weight that we're carrying, I want you to know something. You may need more than Jesus because Jesus gives many different gifts that can help. We're all interconnected. And what that means is this. Our body, our mind, our soul, it's all interconnected. And so you shake one, it happens to shake the rest. And so God, in his grace, he doesn't simply give one solution to all of our ailments. He gives many. And so what I mean is this, is that sometimes a really good nap, a really healthy meal plan, having friends in our life, in addition to an open Bible and faith in Jesus, sometimes medicine, sometimes doctors, sometimes counselors, there's, there's lots of possibilities But this is what I want you to hear. You may need more than growing faith in Jesus Christ to deal with your fear, but I promise you, you will not need less. And then the third is to identify just what those areas are to expose places of help. Where can you, if you're battling this and you're tired of battling alone and you feel like I've been carrying this bucket so long, I I just don't have any strength left in my hand in order to hold this anymore. What what do you do? Where can you go? We want to help. So let me pray. Father in heaven, as we begin this series today, and as we prepare to open your word, we believe that's exactly what we're doing. We're opening your word. It's a different word. It's honorably distinct from all other words. We believe this is not just a opinion. This isn't a book. It's your word. Therefore, it's the book. And so help us to sit underneath it. Help us to believe. And for those that are just absolutely crushed by the weight of fear, fear that has immobilized their hope, fear that is maybe even destroyed or has interrupted their everyday life, I pray, God, that you would give them hope. Would you speak through weakness for the glory of Christ? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So fear. Fear is what we feel when we're facing the threat of harm. I often think of fear like the wind. It's absolutely invisible, and yet you can see its effect. If you're afraid, it's interesting, your body involuntarily releases adrenaline. It speeds up your heart rate. You can see fear in facial expressions and tones of the voice. You can, you can, you can feel fear, and there's typically a spike in anxiety in our life. And what we know, and what we all know, like we know this is true, every one of us, We're about to look at this and ask yourself these questions, but fears can grow so big that they literally can begin to take over different parts of our life to where we just don't do those things that we feel like we should do. Sometimes it can stymie obedience. We know we should do that. I should tell that person about Jesus Christ, and yet fear tells us it's going to go so bad. Don't do it. So there's all kinds of things in our life, all kinds of relationships that get broken. There's all kinds of Acts of obedience that are, that, are, that are hindered. There's all kinds of acts of faith and hope and love that fear can grow so big that we can say, I just feel constricted and restricted by my fear. God cares, and that's why he speaks to us in his word. Fear is real. You say, is it real? If it's, in, if it's invisible, is it still real? It's absolutely real. We know this because God speaks to it over 400 times in the Bible. Fear in the Bible is in two different directions. In one sense, it's affirmed as a God-given mechanism to avert danger. That's why we, we swerve our car if there's another car in front of us. That's why if you see a little kid out in the road and you see a car barreling down, fear mobilizes your body to run in order to rescue that child. You see these kinds of fears in the Bible where a a foreign army is coming to invade and suddenly the fear causes me to turn to God and pray to avert danger. It's the same fear that leads us to see the danger that we're in and that we've sinned against a holy God and therefore we bear his wrath. And yet in his mercy, he's given us a provision. And therefore he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In order, meaning to turn to Jesus Christ, to fear him enough to run to him is the way you avert danger. And so you see places within the Bible where fear is not condemned, but then you also see places where he says, fear not for I am with you. And these are the places typically where fear causes us to close our ears to the promises of God. And therefore it stymies our faith, hope, and love. And God says, this is not in your best interest. And so I'm going to tell you not to do this. And then I'm going to resource you with my spirit and my word in order to help you in that way. And that's where we come to Psalm 46. The Psalms, every one of them, they're written by people, real people with real problems who are overwhelmed. It's part of one of the books that we call wisdom literature, okay? The Old Testament, it's a history. There's a story that kind of goes all the way through, and then there's five books of wisdom, and and what those books do is it shows us what it's like and what it feels like to be human when we're going through history. This is the song book. And so what you find is from these people who are battling all kinds of emotional challenges, they're writing and they're saying, we we are looking to you, God, and they're seeking to teach one another through songs. In doing so, what they teach us is this, is that ours is not the first generation to battle the heavy, heavy weight of fear. You notice. In Psalm 46, at the very beginning, this is not on the screen, but in the very beginning, if you have with you a Bible, you'll you'll see a little title. And it says, to the choir master of the sons of Korah. It says more than that, but it says, to the choir master. In other words, the sons of Korah were a smaller group of people who wrote this song, and then they gave it to the choir master in order to teach the nation about how to deal with fear. It was a song to be sung and you notice within the song, there's three different times where you find the word "sela," after verse three and after verse seven and after verse 11. The word selah literally means to pause or to think about it, to consider it. And so sometimes, even here, right, we play a song and we're singing, and then all of a sudden the song's not over, and yet they continue to play, and yet we don't sing. And so sometimes we put a verse for us to think about. Or maybe we don't put anything up there, and it's just quiet where you're thinking about what it is that we just sang. This is what he's doing. Three times he tells us, Stop your reading, pause, and think. This is what he says. Verse one God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river. Whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. What do we learn here? First life is full of troubles that bring overwhelming fear. The fact is, is you don't need a psalm to tell you this. It reinforces what you know, and that is that every one of us, we live in a world that's broken, that has all kinds of troubles. And those troubles, at times, bring different levels of fear. Sometimes so much fear that it's overwhelming. We simply can't carry it any longer. You notice that throughout Psalm 46, it's really this amazing display of God, who God is, and the fact that he's near, right? That's the idea. And yet the context that you even see in verse 1 is trouble. Notice what he says. Oh, he is our refuge and strength, a very present help. But then he tells us why and when. He goes, this is when this all matters. It's trouble. Verse 2 and 3, he then goes on and he tries to illustrate what it feels like to be troubled by fear and so this is what he says though the earth gives way though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea though the waters roar and foam though the mountains tremble at its swelling in other words we don't know the exact cause of the trouble of this day or of their day but it led them to imagine the unimaginable an earthquake that was so significant and real that it literally broke off pieces of mountains send them hurling into the sea to be covered, causing the sea to roar and foam. We're not sure if he's speaking specifically of the fear that's caused from an earthquake or a natural disaster, or perhaps, maybe it's likely, he was simply seeking to illustrate the geopolitical unrest that felt like an earthquake. I don't know if you've ever like, been afraid during a sequence of elections, but maybe he was. We know that because in verse 6, notice what it says. It says that the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. In other words, there's wars and rumors of wars and there's dictators and there's brutality and therefore these kingdoms, they rise and they fall and what happens if ours falls? Verse 6 gives way to verse 9. The fact that There is raging nations and tottering kingdoms leads to wars and bow and arrows and spears and chariots. You're like, Oh, come on. It's a bow and arrow. A bow and arrow is only non-threatening. If you're on the right side of it, right? These were the weapons of their military. These were the powers at the time spears. We might put other weapons of war in there now, but the reality is this is that, The world today with really, really potent weapons is raging and tottering. This is a scary place to live. We live in a world where there's natural disasters, there's plagues and viruses, there's clashing ideologies, and then the reward for surviving it all is you get to die. This is the reality of living in the world. It's a scary place to live, but I want you to know something. It wasn't always scary. See the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He created us in His image, and we lived in perfect peace. It wasn't until we declared independence against God and sinned against His holy word, against His character, that we find the origin of fear. Adam and Eve they sinned against God, and suddenly they felt compelled, without any instruction whatsoever, to hide. Not only from God, but from each other. And so God finds them hiding behind bushes and trees. asks them, why are you hiding? And Adam responds with these words. I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid. Whatever fear you have, whether it's the fear of approval, fear of missing out, fear of crowds, the fear of spiders, heights, whatever it is. The genesis of that fear was this fear. You see, before we sinned against God, the world was not a dangerous place to live. The animals that now threaten us, they didn't threaten us. The Bible says that the world itself today is literally groaning. Romans 8 says it's groaning under the collective pressure of our sin. And therefore it creates and causes all kinds of tremors, causing us to be a scary place to live. Before we sinned against God, we didn't have to worry about dying and now we will die because we've all sinned against god it wasn't always this way the fact that life is full of troubles that bring overwhelming fear i think the application for this here is this is let's acknowledge the fears that shape our life it's wise for us to pause long enough to say what is it the fear that actually captures me what fear affects my decisions what what fears do i have that are affecting my relationships and if you really want to dig deep and you really want to find healing over that fear and allow it not to dominate your life, you'll go a step deeper. And it's this, what fear are those fears built upon? I read this week at length about something called FOMA, the fear of missing out. Particularly, this is common today among younger people, but primarily upon those who are dominated by their phone, by social media. The idea there is this, is that when we post something, we have to see how many people like it to see how significant we are. And so it dominates our lives. It can restrict our lives. We feel like that every two seconds, we, we, can, we can turn it off, put it down, and suddenly going to say, you know, I just wonder if anyone's liked it yet. And we just have to go back to it. And suddenly we're so magnetized to this thing that actually the fear of missing out is the fear of approval. And maybe someone else's voice has already spoken into the void a truer statement than all the human likes about what you ate last night matter about who you are. Maybe your creator stands up after saving you from your sin and says, you are mine and I accept you. Maybe that would be enough. You see, we all have a fear. Sometimes that fear is not the Base level fear. Maybe we need to go a step deeper. The second big truth we see here is that God is sovereign over the troubles that bring us fear. It is absolutely true that life is full of troubles that bring fear. But he wants us to see with all of our eyes that God is sovereign over those troubles that bring us fear. I am absolutely certain that because we are interconnected as people, meaning this, meaning that God created us with a body, a mind, a soul, a spirit, and these things are tied together. What that means is if you shake one of them, you shake many of those areas. As a result of that, God, by his grace, has given us many different kinds of gifts that affect and that can help us in our fight against things that overwhelm us. But I want you to know something. There is nothing on earth the earth as potent to help you overcome the overwhelming nature of fear than to know and remember who God is and that God is near. And this is what Psalm 46 teaches. Let me show you in verse one. He begins telling us different attributes of God. He says, God is our refuge. We'll start with that one. Refuge. This is a trusted place of safety. All of us probably have something like this. When you're really afraid, when you're really scared, when you're really overwhelmed with something, where do you go? Maybe your closet. Maybe a chair. It may be a bed. Maybe under the covers, right? A trusted place that's safe. He says, God is that for us, He is our refuge. Not only that, he's a strength. He's a source of power. He tells us here, he's a help. He is the source. He is a source of assistance to our life. Then we add to these attributes, verse 4. He says that he is the most high. The most high. That means sovereign over all. That means that there's nothing higher than him when it comes to wisdom or strength or power or authority. That's why he's the king of kings. That's why he's the Lord of lords. That's why he's the creator. He's the sovereign. He's the shepherd. He's the light. He's, he's everything we need. And he's higher than everything else. And that's why everybody who would, who would fight against him, who would contend against him, he says that his plans cannot be thwarted because he's most high. There's nobody that he goes to for permission to accomplish his will because he's the most high. But then he goes a step further and he gives us two verses that give us three attributes. And those two verses, they're identical. It's verse 7 and verse 11. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So let's deal with these three attributes and let's start or let's end with Lord of hosts. Let's go with God of Jacob. What is God of Jacob? Well, obviously there's a man named Jacob and he worshiped God, but that's not really the point. The hopeful point for us is this, is that Jacob was a sinner. He was a liar, manipulator. He deceived people. He stole from people. He cheated people. He was arrogant. He was impulsive. He was unsettled. He was a sinner. When you read the words, God of Jacob, think friend of sinner. Think there's hope for me. When you read God of Jacob, you can say, you know what? The worst things that I've ever done, this God can still be my God. He can still be with me as a refuge, as a strength, as a help. The God of Jacob, that speaks of his mercy, his grace, his provision for sinners. He is a fortress. He is a citadel. He's an impassable castle on the hill. And then he tells us one other, and it's the Lord of hosts. The word host means armies. In this case, it's angel armies. He's the captain, the commander of angel armies. You think, oh, angels are the little soft things that fly around. There's a story. It's a true story. It's in Second Kings chapter 19 that you can read. And one day the Assyrian army assembled itself to attack Jerusalem. King Hezekiah of Israel, he became so overwhelmed with fear that he went and he began praying to God. And God came to him and he says, I will protect this city. And that night, God sent one angel. One, like he got all of them like, hey, uh, why don't you go? And that one struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Now you fast forward a little bit. Jesus is praying in the garden the night before he's killed, before he goes to his cross. You remember what happened? Big band of soldiers comes and Peter, Peter's got a sword. He pulls it out, Jesus, you just stand back there, I'll protect you. And Jesus is like Peter. Put it, put it away. Put it away. And then he asked him a question. What was the question that he asked him? Do you remember? Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You know what 12 legions is? The lowest number that could be a legion, the, the, the smallest legion was 6,000. He says, he can call one and strike down 185,000 soldiers in battle gear in one night. And I can say one word and there will be 72,000 of those battle armed angels ready. To protect me. So put away your little sword. He is the Lord of hosts. This is why verse nine says that he has the power to make wars cease, to take spears and bow and arrows and chariots and burn them, break them, and shatter them. He is sovereign over all. You think about refuge a refuge on the earth, a refuge in America. When, like when I think of a place, I'm like, what's a place that's like that safe, trusted place? The thought that I had was the White House. Now I know some of you, like you just watch so much news right now. The only thing you can think about when I say White House is politics, people, and parties. Like let's just say those, all of those people were not there, and we just took an architectural tour. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the building. You know, this building is a refuge. They've got all kinds of tunnels and secret rooms and bunkers and barricades. It's, it's an amazing fortified place. And yet, here's the deal. It, it, this offers me absolutely no hope whatsoever with my own fears. You know why? Because I'm not allowed there. It's not accessible to me or to you. And this is why Psalm 46 is, is ultimately encouraging. You see, strength is only good news if it's accessible to you. Like if God is all of this and yet he's against you, well, uh, that's bad news, isn't it? And so notice the extent that he goes to tell us not only who he is. He's not just a refuge. He's our refuge. He's not just a strength. He's our strength. He's not just a help. He's a very present help. He's not just the most high. The most high is in our midst. He's not just the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is with us. And he's not just the God of Jacob, the friend of sinners, who's a fortress. He's the God of Jacob, the friend of sinners, who's a fortress that's ours. He's with us. When we're with a friend, we're tied to all of their gifts, abilities, skills, talents, and knowledge. And when we're with God, we are connected to all that he is. Long before the trouble that they were facing, whatever it was, God came to Jacob's grandpa. His name was Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you. You don't deserve this, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a nation, and I'm going to be with you and with that nation. And one day I'm going to send a rescuer from that line in order to rescue all the families of the earth who would believe and trust in him. <laughs> and this hope of God being with them became this recurring source of hope. And let me show you the power of this source of hope in believing first who he is, but then second, that he's with us. Notice what it says in verse four. It says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. this is stunning. You say, well, why is that stunning? This is why. He's writing to people living in Jerusalem about a river in Jerusalem, and there's no river in or around Jerusalem, but there would be soon, because in the fullness of time, when God sent forth the Christ, the Savior of the world, Jesus stood in Jerusalem, and there he said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow." Rivers of living water. This Jesus then went to a cross to pay for our sin, though he had none of his own. He was buried in a grave and he rose from the dead, extending an invitation that if we would believe in him and trust in him, not only would the wrath of God that was directed to us be averted, it would be forgiven. We All of our sin would be taken away. He would give us not only his righteousness, but he would also then begin to fill us to such a place that peace would begin to run over the edges and we would be like a river of hope to other people, even though we would still be afraid. And so let me encourage us to acknowledge the God who rules life. We should acknowledge the fears that shape our life, but we should also acknowledge the God who rules our life. For when we come to Christ, we draw near to one who's sovereign over our birth, over our life, over our death. Friends, hope you understand what this means. When the Bible says that he's sovereign over our birth, what that means is this, is that of all the genetic possibilities that could have come from your parents and grandparents all the way down to making you, is that God made you. Sovereign over life means that of all the things that have happened before your life, during your life, and are about to come in your life, he's going to use every single one of them in order to pull off his purposes for your life. Sovereign over death means that Christ is in control, not only of the timing and the circumstances, but also the destiny of our death. And this is why when you acknowledge who God is, the next step is always to run to where God is. And that's why Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, a refuge and the righteous man runs to it and is safe. If you have never trusted Christ, not only, not only to help you with fear, but much more than your fear and your felt need. That's real. It's a real need. You have a moral debt before a holy God that you cannot pay. But he and his love sent his son as a provision But you have to trust in him. Would you trust in him? Would you admit today that you need him? Would you believe in Christ and confess him as Lord of your life? He will forgive you. And even though your battle of fear will not forever be over. You will then have a resource that you can draw upon. You can lean upon a refuge, a strength, a help that is very present. Until you get to heaven and he takes away everything that's scary. The third thing I want you to see is practicing God's presence leads to overwhelming peace. You have to practice his presence. God's strength has less effect in our life if we don't practice it. If we don't imagine when we are watching the news, if you don't imagine that Jesus is sitting next to you and has sovereign authority over life, you can be more afraid. Even though it's true, he's sitting next to you, whether you acknowledge it or not. When you talk to people, when you go to work, to practice his presence is to live, not as though like this is imaginary, but because God is near. And so he tells us to do so in two ways. In verse 8, he says, come behold the works of the Lord. He says, you need to see within the scriptures what God has done in history in order to show you and give you hope of what he can do in your future. But not only that, notice what it says in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, here's the second thing you need to do. But notice it changes tenses. And this is what's happening here. In fact, you notice in your Bible that the, that the verse is actually in quotes. Just verse 10. It's as though God is listening. He's in the background going, man, this is a great song. You guys keep doing it. He goes, hold on a second. I want to talk about this one. And we know that because it says I. I will be exalted. So God's now. He's a like, Let me go ahead and just change the song up just a little bit. So God wants you to do this. This is how to practice his presence. In addition to beholding the works of the Lord by looking within the scriptures. He says, be still. Stop striving. Lay down your arms. Stop scheming. Know that I am God. We all know about people. And then we know a few people. A lot of people know about God, but not many people know him. You can know him. And then he says, and I'll be exalted among the nations and upon the earth. And this is beautiful. He says, you know, all that trembling that's happening on the earth and in the nations that has you so fearful. Yeah. Well, one day I'll be exalted in those places. Those nations, that earth, it's all going to bow before me. So how do we practice his presence? First, remember our place before God. Remember your place before God. Every one of us were created to orbit around God. And when we begin to orbit around ourselves, we get afraid. One of the ways that you know that you are assuming authority over something you have no authority is you get afraid about it. And so when fear arises in any particular area of your life, whether it's your kids, whether it's work, whether it's one day you're going to die, whether it's if I'm approved by people and practicing his presence looks like reestablishing his authority as King of that area of your life. You see threats tend to shrink to their actual size in his presence. Second thing is let's allow God's word to give voice to our heart. When we hurt, Words tend to flow out of our mouth that originate in our heart. So we need to fill our heart with truth. We read the Bible. We memorize his promises. We read Psalm 46 and then we praise Psalm 46 as though it's us speaking. God, you are my refuge and strength. We're adding our voice to the voice of the sons of Korah. We're singing it with the congregation. You see... Let me encourage you, do not allow dark thoughts to wisp around your mind like partially welcomed house guests. That's why Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You can't just let thoughts of fear just rule and run around your life. He says, take those thoughts and put them in a prison in the prison bars of the word of God. The third thing and last, let me encourage you, is to think holistically as we seek help. You may need, I've said this many times now this morning, you may need more than an open Bible and growing faith in Jesus, but you won't need less. But the reason that you may need more is because Jesus has given more. He has connected our body to our soul. And so a good night's rest affects how we think. And so think about your rest. Think about your diet. Think about the community of people who are around you, if you're alone, to have people around you who can remind you of the promises of God, who can remind you not to judge God's character on the basis of that your life happens to be in the middle of the story instead of the end of the story. To have people in your life who can bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ is one of the provisions that we need to think holistically But also, and listen to me carefully, if you find fear becoming so disproportionate to the danger that it begins to derail your daily life, would you please consider talking to us about talking to a professional counselor or doctor who may be able to help in really healthy ways in addition to faith in Christ, in addition to remembering his promises? The fall affects all of us. So it's okay to admit that you're in need. Our worship team is going to come now and sing a song over us. The song is called peace. As the team comes and does that, let me encourage you to talk to the Lord about the fears that plague your life. Ask him for help. because I believe he wants to give you help. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in faith. Believing that Psalm 46 is from you, that you want us to be still, to be quiet. You want us to know who you are. You want us to know that you're near. You want us to remember that you're going to be exalted in all the places now that cause us fear. I pray, Father, now that as we listen and as we consider our fears and give them to you, that you would encourage our hearts. And we're Our heart right now is so full of fear. Would you replace it with peace? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.